I would say people should pay attention to their passion. Unfortunately, we are living in a world where so many people are doing whatever they are doing because they're getting a pay at the end of the month. No wonder we have teachers who are not happy teachers and they are not doing the best they can to teach happy children because they are not passionate about it. We have doctors who are dreading going to the clinics, but they are getting a pay, that's where they are going. But the moment you discover your passion, there's something in the passion that keeps you moving. There's something in the passion that gives you the energy, the drive to keep pushing even when things are tough. And if we all discover that passion and follow it, the world will be definitely a better place because whatever we'll be putting our hands on, will be transforming it because we are passionate about it. Hello, everyone. My name is Duncan Autry, and you are listening to Fractal Friends, the podcast where we explore our self-similarity across our diversity. We all have a role to play in the whole, and the purpose of this show is to interview people with interesting perspectives on the world and see what it is that we can learn from one another. In this episode, I talk with Jane and Monica Kinua. The Kinua sisters both work for the Children's Peace Initiative Kenya. Monica is the deputy director, and Jane is the program manager. The Children's Peace Initiative, also known as CPI, works with children from different communities and ethnic groups in Kenya and builds lasting friendships between them. These friendships then ripple out and create opportunities to build connections between their parents and the larger communities that they live in. There's a magic in working with children who don't understand why they have inherited generational divisions and don't see why they are expected to hate one another. We reflect on the unique capacity of children to easily build bridges across ethnic differences, and we consider the importance of the role of children as they impact people of all ages and roles in the community. In this episode, we get inspired by the possibility of the work they are doing in Kenya to be applied in divided communities in the United States and the rest of the world. And we put all of this in context by talking about the history of Kenya and how conflicts from the past continue to affect people today. It's worth mentioning that it can be hard to distinguish between the voices of Jane and Monica, but I'm sure that their messages and wisdom will come through no matter what. Thank you for listening to Fractal Friends. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to it, and don't hesitate to give it a review. And come visit fractalfriends.us to get lots more information about the history of Kenya, the work of Jane and Monica, and the Children's Peace Initiative in Kenya. And you can also hear, learn about the other things that we discuss in this episode. Also at fractalfriends.us, you can find other guests and episodes from over the years. This conversation was recorded in December of 2019. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Jane and Monica Kinua. I want to start by telling you, you have given us a great opportunity to share our ideas with the world through Fractal Frets. It's not an ordinary idea because it's something like not the norm. Mm-hmm. It's again, it's what people would think this is the norm. Like, you know, adults know stuff and kids are there to follow. But in our model that we are going to share, it's trying to show how you can look on the other side that is more inclusive irrespective of gender, irrespective of age, irrespective of education. Reversing the norm where the educated are 
perceived to be the one leading the way, but bringing the concept that we can be open to learn from anyone. Anyone can teach us. And especially when it comes to the matters of peace, there is no one right way. Yeah. And diversifying approaches into bringing peace is the way to go. And also we are, we are introducing a paradigm shift in the manner in which we perceive peace and conflict. And I think we are now in the 21st century, we need to look at things differently, that kind of, open, open of openness of mind, so that we are able to maybe the solution is right here and we have been looking for it all over and we are forgetting it's right where we are. Uh, so that's basically what we have been doing and what we'd love to share with you in this conversation. I love it. I think it's so valuable to think that when we're like looking for peace out in the world or the answers and like to really imagine that it's right here. And I also just really appreciate just the way that that's like a capturing of like, that's the kind of creative new thinking that we need to be having right now. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder as like here at the beginning, if you would just be willing to introduce yourselves with your names so we can get to know what your voice is and what name goes with each voice. My name is Monica and I'm a founding member of CPI Kenya. CPI stands for Student Peace Initiative Kenya. And uh, I have master's degree from University of San Diego on peace and conflict. Thank you, Monica. And my name is Jane and I'm also a founding member of Children Peace Initiative Kenya and a master's degree holder from University of San Diego, Croc, John B. Croc School of Peace Studies. And in addition, we are both practitioners in the area of peace because we have been working in that field close to 10 years now. And I must say, it's different when you are behind the laptop looking into theory and research and when you have the opportunity to integrate it into practice. You come to run that what you learn, what you gained in school is a mindset and you are challenged on the ground to be able to apply that in a practical context. So it enriches the process to apply theory into practice. I I totally agree. It's amazing how much, you know, talk about the idea of peace and how much you can learn in school where you're just learning ideas. Mm-hmm. And it must be such a benefit to be working in a peace initiative and be bringing that directly, you know, to reality. I, I imagine also that it's a good benefit for the people in your classmates, too, to be able to have you there as people who are actually bringing peace to the ground. Yes, for sure. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about um, uh, the Children's Peace Initiative and like what you're doing. Maybe I start by saying, if we can reflect now that the leaders we have today in all over the world were once kids, were once children. And as much as we, people who can say, oh, the problem is in the leadership, the problem is in the system. If those people had an opportunity to grow with the values that help consider the if I can use a a little bit of a philosophical word, the facets of peace, the issue of fairness, the issue of justice, the issue of fair distribution of resources, all that comes together into the positive peace that you talk about later. And if these leaders today learned that when they were children, possibly would have some different form of leadership. And I would say that is the background, the mentality or the perspective we have in Children Peace Initiative Kenya that we are planting a seed today in nurturing 
this leaders of tomorrow. And moreover, we may not see, although we are seeing the impact today, the overall impact may be in, in the future, but for here and now, it is more of a lesser tangible impact, which still contributes to the common good, I would say. But I would invite Monica to take us on a journey on how we began CPI and the milestones and what we do, and I can chip in in between. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I just want to just capture this, that by working with children, you're contributing to the future, but then there's also like immediate impacts. Like, yes. yeah, totally. That's what I think is so brilliant about the work you're doing. Yeah. It is. So the, the inspiration behind in Children Peace Initiative Kenya was, we have both background in working with children in different capacities. And when we one day took a trip to Northern Kenya, we, we had little time experience of communities who are so close physically, but they hate each other so much. And the impact of that geographical closeness comes in handy because the, the effect of conflict is real. The displacement is real, the loss of life and loss of resources. All these are the impact that come along with it. But then we realized the nature of conflict is unique. Unique because it's, it's, it, it is not very political or religious. It is based on identity. Mm -hmm. And we realize so many approaches are not factoring that uniqueness of the nature of conflict. So the government is trying to come in, but approaching it from a political angle. The church is trying to come in, trying to be a little bit more balanced. But then we realized that children are affected so much by conflict, but they are not part of the stakeholders when it comes to looking for solution for conflict. So we, we were like, if children are affected so much, they have a take to play in trying to make things better because they are already experiencing the wrath of conflict. Right. And then again, we realized because of the nature of conflict, which is based on identity, they, you can only rectify this at a particular age. Uh -huh. Most of the stakeholders were focusing on adults. And when it comes to formation of mindset, adults are very tricky to work with. We already know what we know. We are already in our own positions as adults. And we realized that could be part of the problem because we are already dealing with people who are already firm in their, in their position. And that's when we say the best age group to work with is children because they are affected so much by conflict, but they still have the capability to transform the situation based on their age. Yeah. What is the age group that you find to be most effective, you know, that are between, you know, they're old enough to be making an impact, but still young enough to not have their ideas set in stone? I think from, from 10 to 13, 13, 14 depends on different scenarios, but at around that age, they are not fully rebellious into adolescence. And they are not very young, mm -hmm. so they are able to kind of be more open to different realities. That's amazing. I I think it's interesting because you know adolescents, you know that people who are in that transition stage, oftentimes they're not given a lot of credit, you know, because they're in a certain way like rebelling against the system already. They're rebelling against their parents, and that people who are looking at that kids in that age in the United States they call them tweens between like between kids and teenagers tween you know like but in this age group they are oftentimes not following the rules they're not you know doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're rebelling but that's actually probably like an advantage for you 
because they're already thinking differently. It is an advantage, especially because the, the kids are young, like they are not much into relationship because the dynamics change. When you see people holding youth or young adult meetings, the issue of relationship come into play and sometimes it affects the results, all right? But the age we are dealing with, they are pretty young. They are yet to get to that level of having complicated effects. They are basically young and open to, to learn and assimilate the new knowledge or the new values you are trying to instill in them. Mm -hmm. So understanding children from this perspective has made us be able to choose the kind of group we want to work with. No wonder when we go to schools, we don't ask to work with grade eight or grade seven. They are, those are already a little bit more advanced. We want to work with a younger grade whom we can journey with in the process of transformation. Mm -hmm. Because the entire process is that you are going through transformation from realizing that you have options and you have choices and you can test the choices and choose, make, make an informed choice rather. Wow. And you know, Duncan, when we talk to parents, most of them say, why well, not for children? They could not have participated in the peace meetings. Mm -hmm. So you realize the power of the children to influence their parents because parents have a soft spot for them. And consequently, they give parents a chance to see their role also as parents in promoting peace. Mm -hmm. So that influence comes a long way and it, 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 it has more greater impact because it brings children on board, parents on board, and these parents are the actors. If we have a chief, it's a parent before he's a chief. If it's a policeman, they are parents before they are policemen. So all those uh, identities are rooted in the relationship that the community has and children become connectors for peace. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that, like, so that's how you're able to be having that immediate impact and then also the long-term impact because children are going to grow up to be leaders, but leaders have children. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, and the role as a parent is often, um, you know, like a primary role in their life. And so, you know, half the day that they're the police officer, half the day they're the chief, and the other half the day they're their dad or mom. Yes. Yeah, and that, and that perspective uh, kind of helps us to mobilize a diverse group, like multiple, if multiple advantages when working with one child, mm -hmm. you're able to mobilize a diverse group. And this diverse group helps circulate the information in a more faster way than when you're dealing with particular conventional group. And also the fact that we decided to say everything is rooted on the child. So you are participating by the virtue that you are a parent of this child. So we kind of opened up gates for everybody in the community to participate by the virtue that you are a parent. Mm -hmm. Something that was not there before. Initially, People are like, when it is peace meeting, it is so-and-so who, who represents us. But then here we are introducing, like, like demystifying the so-and-so to mean anybody can take part in it. And if you do 300 children, you have 300 adults. And so the effect kind of, you amplify the impact by reaching out to a huge number of people who are quite diverse. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes total sense, right? Because you're impacting, and you're, and then you're not just impacting twice as many people, but you're impacting both genders as well. You mean you're oh, yeah. impacting both women and men, 
which oftentimes development work or peace work, you know, has to make that choice, you know, or do we work with the women or we work with men or how do we get both and how come there aren't women here or, you know, that always that problem of, of how to get everyone involved. But parents, you usually get, you can, most times you, you, you get both. Yeah. And initially peace was an agenda for men. Right. And not just men, it was a particular group of men. Yeah. But bringing, well, approaching peace through children, it has opened door for people from all walks of ages and all walks of professions, all walks of life to be partakers in peace. And mm-hmm. I think that has also made it, uh, made our work more successful. Because you, at one point, you have almost everybody involved, irrespective. Totally. Well, and it makes me think that, you know, one of the things, like, that I think we should talk about a lot in this conversation is like how what you're doing there, you know, in, in, in rural Kenya and pastoral lands, you know, like is actually transferable to any place where there are different groups that have conflict. And um and just this idea that they're all children have parents or guardians, um, that's everywhere. And so this way that you are able to get access to um, diverse groups of parents and all different kinds of roles by working with a group of children, like that's one thing that can be used anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. And I would comment on that and say, as you have put it, the model is replicable because you look at the context and transfer what can be applied in that particular context. Yeah. And maybe the best thing would be to share with you briefly our programs Yeah. in a general sense. Then we can see how, how that is replicable elsewhere. And we can look into the impact, the challenge, and also into the future. Like just trying to come up with a storyline that helps you understand this is CPI Kenya, this is what we do, this is the impact we have realized, and this is what we are looking into. Absolutely. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. I, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think another question that I wanted to ask you is like, what are the stages of this transformation process? Um, but I think that the programs, they actually kind of have an order to them. So if, if I saw right. So yeah, if you also can explain how the programs take a child through a journey or take a family through a journey of transformation, that'd be awesome. Before we do that, let me give a little bit of the history, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So that we understand the child we are dealing with, where are they coming from? Yes. We are going to start with our northern program, like the one in the rural areas, because we have two programs in CPI Kenya. Great. Most of these children, they have been separated by differences over time, all right? Maybe their their grandfathers one day they fought, or their great-grandfathers, they one day fought and killed each other based on ethnic affiliations. Mm-hmm. And when they did, there was kind of separation that came many years ago. And the generation grew now with those, with those two, two separate groups, which actually resulted into the, the, the introduction of institutions like markets, hospitals, schools. Everything seemed to have an ethnic affiliation. So you know there's this hospital in this village, and you assume is the people in that village who mostly access those services because it is in their location. So even the churches, the churches kind of got in the mix and they were part of the affiliations. So in the process, we 
the community started growing in alienation and they were, there was literally minimal opportunity to meet, if at all any. So the generation started coming up. The parents started coming up with the system. They would raise their children in the same system, knowing our children go to particular schools. We go to particular church. We go to particular market. And at the end of the day, we, the gap grew wider and wider to an extent that people have no connection at all apart from referring to each other from their ethnic groups. Like I can say, Duncan is, a, is an American and Monica is an African, those two groups. Yet mm -hmm. we are so close, we are very close geographically. And when war could come, it would, when war could, in, anytime an, an event of war could occur, the groups would take sides and it would come like group related or group related conflict. So this group is fighting with this, and the manifestation has been going on until today. In a way, you cannot say it is Monica and Duncan who are fighting. You say it is Americans and Africans who are fighting. Where in actual sense, it is two individuals you are referring to. Right. So, so, so these, these, these are the communities that are hosting the children Jane will take us through on the activities we do with the kids when we journey with them in our peace program. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Like, so you have like, you know, generations ago, there might be have conflict between like the Samburu and the Pokot or the Turkana, you know, tribes, and then those groups have continued to be divided, and that like actually the economy and social life has been organized by these different groups, and mm -hmm. so even though. This has been just passed on through generations. Um, there's not really, but yet the conflict today is still between real individuals, even though it's something that goes back much further. Oh yeah, yeah. And then he, if, even when you ask the children why they hate each other, they have no solid reason to give because they don't have any experience themselves. Right. They have they are hatred on a system they found existing. Right, and the system, and it's like, and it's systemic is really important. Like, it is systemic. It is yeah. an us versus them system. Yeah. So if 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 Pokots hit the Turkana for one reason or the other, all the Pokots will team up to revenge on behalf of the on behalf of the Afero Pokot. All the Turkanas will team up to revenge on behalf of the Afero Turkana, because it is about groups. It's not about individuals. And mm -hmm. this is what we are trying to demystify. We are trying to tell the children every community has its own criminal. We should not be, suffer because of our ethnic identity. Right. And just to be clear, as we like get into the story of how the work happens and how you start bringing people together, um, you're working in like north and northwestern parts of, of Kenya uh, for yeah. your rural work. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like an, kind of an arid region and a lot of like pastoral communities, right? Those are pastoralist communities and they are very marginalized. Yeah. Actually, conflict comes like a double hit because already they're from, from a normal, normal perspective, they already marginalized by the virtue that they are in arid areas in Kenya, geographically. Yeah. Areas where there are no road networks, mm -hmm. water system, electricity. There are not those facilities that can make your life more manageable. Right. So life generally is already hard, then topped up by the nature of conflict, it becomes even more worse. Right. Right. That I was when I was reading 
it seems like even like during the colonial area, people in this part of the world, like the British didn't even bother them because no one wanted that land. They were just like, you got to do what you want. Very correct. Yeah. Very correct. And actually, although this is off the line of our conversation, in terms of security, instead of providing security, they were given the guns, the guns to guard themselves. That's how much disinterested or uninterested the, the colonialists were with the communities in the northern Kenya. Wow. So instead of investing security, you have the guns and take care of yourself. Oh, man. Like a whole nother conversation to think about how, you know, the impacts of the people who were being most impacted by the British, you know, colonial powers ended up being the ones that are now in political power. Like, that's fascinating, too. But that's a different conversation, maybe. Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about your programs. Yeah. So we start by saying the rural program is called Friendship for Peace Program. And we maximize on the intercommunity friendship as an entry point to resolve differences and to unite communities. And actually replicating it to here, it's like bringing, bringing two different groups that are significantly different, but looking on what connects them. And in the rural areas, we identified children, children's ability to form friendship is a connecting factor. And we used that to penetrate the community. So we technically paired the children, one children from community A and the other children from community B, and we paired them for peace sake. And to do this, we did one of the programs, which we call Children Peace Camp, which is the foundation of all other friendship for peace building uh, programs. Our step number one is Peace Camp. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And in Peace Camp, we bring children from the neighboring groups. Our approach is through the schools. So we get to the schools and we select, we get to the neighborhood and select three schools which are not very far from each other. And we get to the other community and select schools which are also not very far from each other. We try as much as possible to have an equal number of children from the two groups. And the schools are usually already segregated by the different tribes or ethnic groups. You are yes, right. mostly. So in, in one school, we know we have same population. Got it. So that makes it easier for us. For example, if we are targeting to work with 300, we have 150 Pokots and 150 Samburu. Yeah. In most cases, these children have never met. And if they did, they met maybe during games competition. And let me, let me give an example, although this is off the conversation. When the teachers were telling us about the meeting of these kids, because some kids had met before, yeah. they were saying they met during games competition. And when they were playing soccer, some kids would literally target the, the legs of the other kids instead of targeting the ball. Mm -hmm. Because this is the only opportunity they have to be together. And, and because they don't like each other, they are literally trying to hit each other during the game. And it became very, very difficult to manage the competition games because of this nature of conflict. So when the teachers were saying these kids are meeting purposely for the first time, it was for all of them. Because initially, it was not by choice. And... We take them through activities that help them, number one, break the ice and feel comfortable, and then build, build confidence, realize they need each other. So we have activities that help build teamwork. 
and collaboration. And towards the end of Peace Camp, and Peace Camp is a five-day event, we have activities that help them to do bonding. In a way, they are like now starting to miss each other. They are like trying to connect with each other. But at the very beginning, we encourage them as much as possible to make sure each has a friend from the other side. So we don't pair them at the beginning, but we ask them to find a way of getting a friend from the other side. And likely enough, because children are children anyway, by the end of the peace camp as an event, we have like 90% of the kids have, have voluntarily gotten friends on their own. If the 10% remaining still want friends, we help them to get friends. Because this friendship is what we maximize on on all the remaining activities towards the end of the project. Yeah. What kind of activities do you do to create like connection and ice breaking and bonding? So we have activities that have the following characteristics. One, child-friendly. Two, fun. Such that children out of laughter, are able to forget the differences and focus on what is uniting them, the joy, the fun that they are sharing. And another one is activities that use readily available materials so that we are able to utilize what the community has without having the financial limitation. Mm -hmm. I think he has, the, he has the examples of the activities. I like the idea of just like doing things that are fun. I mean, that's helpful to imagine that. I imagine like singing, or is it games? For example, we have activities like balloon, balloon busting. busting. It's always the first one. So we form children into groups. Imagine a group of 300 children. So mostly we form them into 20 groups of 15 or 15 groups of 20, depending. Then we, we give them ribbons most of the time. And a normal circumstance, we would give them t-shirts but t-shirts are expensive, so we give them ribbons so that they can know they belong to particular groups. And so in the process, we are now kind of mixing the group. In a way, you cannot say I belong to this school. You are saying I belong to this group. And we have mm -hmm. groups like peace, love, joy, you know, unity. The children come up with these names. So when you are doing activities, we say like, help us with five group members from joy and from unity. So kids keep talking about their groups as they kind of get to understand what it means to, to be at peace, to be in unity, to be cooperating with each other. And that's how we select the participants of these, all these activities. After balloon busting, we have games like passing the ball. We have blind feeding. Blind feeding is really fun. It's one of the activities we do towards the end of the peace camp. <laughs> and it is the two friends. So we ask the, the kids who are friends and they come, both of them come. And we close their eyes and we give them some drinks to feed each other with a spoon. And it is two friends who are blindfolded feeding each other and trying to figure out because they are blindfolded and they need to figure out how they are going to feed each other. So all these kind of activities help the children into interact and break their eyes mm -hmm. and feel comfortable and have fun. Because they have to learn to communicate to be able to, to figure out the, the puzzle they are solving. Like in another activity, we call it um, dressing the bride and the groom, whereby we use the readily available materials to dress the bride and the groom. Technically, the group does that. And this 
emanates from one of the solution kids that if there is intermarriage, it can be a solution to solving the conflict. It can promote peace for people to intermarry. Mm -hmm. So one of the activities is dressing the bride and the groom and the kids dress them. And the bride and the groom are from two different communities. So the, the activities are tailored in a way it promotes bonding, it promotes uh, creativity. Mm-hmm. Obstacle, obstacle game. Yeah. Like one we call obstacle game. Technically, it involves one bride being bridefolded and being led by the one who is not bridefolded. And one is from one community, the other one is from the other community. And they guide them ignorance of their differences, but focus on achieving the objective, the goal, which is to go beyond all the obstacles that are laid in front of them and succeed together. Yeah. At the end is we made it, not I did, not you did, it's we did it. Right. Well, I like, just like in so many of these examples, part of what's happening is you're creating a new kind of we, like yes. either like- by... I like that. Yeah, it's like a different kind, like either it's the group or the teams you know, that are, you know, these mixed groups, or it's like a pair of, of children that are you know, needing to compete in an obstacle course or something, or feed each other. And and in order to succeed, they have to pull it all off together. It, it makes me think, like, I know that in Rwanda, like, where they have activities where... um you know, after the genocide that for certain development programs, they can get the funding for, let's say, a new community center, but it has to be built by both Hutus and Tutsis, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, it's like the adult version, you know, it's like, if you want to have this in your community, you have to work together to make it. And it's doing a lot to sort of get these communities to work together. But this is like kind of the easy, and I also, what I like about these examples you're giving is there are these excellent, like low cost versions. Yeah. 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 Like dressing the bride, we literally use old newspapers, which are locally available. Mm -hmm. and, and the kids, it's so much fun. You see the kids interacting. We try to just facilitate. We give children an opportunity to learn to relate with each other when our role is mostly facilitation. And then at the end, we maximize on now the overall goal. And overall goal of Peace Camp is to expose the children to each other, to give them an opportunity to interact and to make friends. Mm -hmm. And that is the friendship that we maximize on at the end of the Peace Camp. Right. Because all other follow-up activities are based on the success of the Peace Camp. So the friendship formed during Peace Camp becomes the foundation of all other activities. Whichever activity we do after that, it emanates from the friendship made from the peace camp. Mm -hmm. So we ask children, would you want, we give children an opportunity to introduce their friends to each other, to get to know them by their second names, their first names, their favorites, just creating space for children to learn more about their friends. And then we ask mm -hmm. them, how many so that is our activity number two. We do them pairing, officially recording the names of the children and their friends. Yeah. So we call them the twined friends. So the twining takes place at the end of the peace camp. And after that, we ask children, would you want to introduce your new friends to your parents? 
and Duncan, at this point, the kids are so excited because number one, they never thought these kids could talk to them, leave alone being friends with them because of the, the prejudices they had. Right. But still in the peace camp, we give children an opportunity to share how conflict affects them and this possible solution they think should be done to alleviate conflict. So we kind of try to create space for their voice, for them to share opinion of what they think about conflict. And, and then we have, uh, we, we ask children whether they would want to introduce their friends to their parents. And we tell them, if you want, we can facilitate that to happen. So it is actually the children who invite their parents to come to attend the second meeting. Excellent. And the second meeting, every child brings one, either guardian of, of, or parents or a brother or a sister, depending on the family setup, and they introduce each other. And this is what we call family pairing, because the children are now bringing their families on board. And this is mostly where the role of the children is now diminishing and the active role of parents is coming up now. Mm -hmm. There's that overlap because the children are introducing the parents and now as CPI, our main focus goes to the parents because we, we, we now take over and ask parents what they have learned from the children and whether it's something that we want to continue and how can we make this happen and how they can safeguard the future of their children. Yeah. Wow. And so just to clarify, like as you as the parents now are meeting and um the question that you're asking them is what can you do for your children, you know, as opposed to whatever challenges they might have had if they just met in some other situation. Yes, you are right. So tell me, what kind of things do you ask the parents in these moments when they're when they're coming together? I mean, because could this be a hard moment for them? Do they? It is. It is. A, it is. This is a, another test of time for our program. Yeah. Because, for example, if parents refuse to come. Yeah. Or if parents refuse their children to come, because this is the first independent activity of the school. Remember, the first one is taking place during the school time. And it is kind of organized within the school setup. But now, parents' pairing is where we are bringing parents and their children without the efforts of the teachers. Right. All right. So, so the difficult part is to let the children, the parents come, but the children do a great job to mobilize and tell their parents you need to come. And when they come, they are most because they they the communities are very similar to each other. They are all poor, their neighborhoods are the same. So there's nobody who is feeling out of place when you are across the other side. Mm-hmm. Right. So in most cases, they get, they get hosted. We mm-hmm. organize hosting. And we say, instead of taking you outside your village, can, you, can we hold the meeting within the village? And the, the village where we do the event will host their guests. Right. And the children say, Say, say to their friends, you come with your parents, I'll host you. They seek consent from their parents. Mm-hmm. And the hosting is mostly done by parents. And the parents, they freak out at this level. They really freak out, you know? <laughs> because they're coming in from a point, particular point. They are remembering, they are so afraid also of their adults and they are able to triangulate many things. And like children who are just children, the parents think about so many things in the process. 
And so when they come and participate on the event, we give them an opportunity to debrief. How was it being hosted? And they have lots of things to share. There's one, one man who was saying, I slept with my eyes open. Like I literally did not close my eyes. I was literally <laughs> alert. Because although my child has been telling me so many good things, I, I was very afraid. And even the hosts, they were saying, the villagers are surprised how we can host enemies in our houses. Right. But after that hosting, people know that it can be done. It can happen. And they know that we went to that enemy village and came back alive. We hosted our enemies and they did not hurt us in any way. So there's moments of realization. And that transformation starts taking place and the neighbors start saying, I would also want to host. Like, I also want an experience. How mm -hmm. was it like hosting this guy, you know? Yeah. And the parents would say, oh, it's my son. My son brought her friend and his parents. So the parents are actually hosting courtesy of their children. Right. Not well, because they trust each other. It's because the child is involved. This reminds me of, you know, something that I'm always interested by is, you know, if we want to make change in the world and like really get it to work, we need to create things that look really fun and interesting and exciting. And so, um, you know, you, uh, I've heard the idea, you know, if you want to change the world, you need to throw a better party, right? You know, like, like make, make it more fun and more exciting than whatever's happening. Hi, Fractal Friends. Sorry for the interruption. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And visit fractalfriends.us to get more information and to sign up for my newsletter. I don't just host this podcast. I also work as a conflict transformation catalyst and educator. I help people transform conflict into an opportunity to thrive by reminding all of us that conflict is a window into what we care about most. I believe what the world needs now is to recognize that we are all in this together and begin to develop the skills that align us as we co-create our future across our differences and where everyone can safely bring their full creative self to work in service of a life-affirming purpose. Fortunately, we already have the tools and skills to communicate effectively across our differences and bring these dreams into reality. And I am committed to sharing them with the world. Specifically, I'm dedicating my career to support transformation and how people work in companies and organizations and how we manage political and social decision-making in our democracy. If this sounds interesting to you, or you believe that new approaches could support you in having a breakthrough in your life and work, please reach out. I offer free half-hour discovery calls to help you orient around the challenging situations in your life. You can learn more about me and my work and sign up for a discovery call at duncanautry.com. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. I love how the neighbors will be like, I want to host someone. That looks like it was a good experience. I want to oh, do yeah. that. Right. And like, well, you got to send your kids to peace camp or, you know, like, or, or yes. like, it wasn't that hard. And, and just like, I love thinking about the ripple out as people tell the story of, you know, how nervous they were, what happened, what didn't happen. And then other people hear that story. And then they're also touched by that story. Yeah. And yeah. that, that mostly becomes our, our, Parents forum. Those are the things we discuss with the parents. 
like what made you break the odds and there was one man who was saying my son told me dad you have to come my 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 friend is good and her families are good you have to come and experience it so the man was saying how it was her son who convinced him to come under normal circumstances he could not have come mm -hmm. so children play a very key role in using the yes strength strong suit as children to influence their parents and now when they come the the, the parents are freaking out and the child is telling them, so long as my friend is here, you are safe. So it's like they are using each other as security because my friend is here, he will protect us. His family will take care of us. Uh -huh. yeah. So we only need a few families to, to have confidence in our work to influence the entire village. Because after that first round, the others, they agree not because they are very, they are very bold, but because they saw it happen and nothing happened, nothing wrong happened. Right. So the breaking point is the very first round. The families who believe in our work on the first round, they are our John the Baptist. They go ahead to prepare the way and they open the way for the entire village. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting if you, you know, if there's something you're afraid of or you don't think is a good idea and then you see someone else do it and they seem okay and maybe they had a good time that that's like goes a long way in making it feel interesting and accessible right yeah yeah it's, a, it's an academic version of contact theory mm -hmm. where yeah. you see your neighbor is hosting a stranger and they are okay and you are like i want to host okay if my neighbor hosted and they're okay and then the beauty of hosting there's the african tradition which i think is also here in the u.s where you don't go empty-handed so there is a lot of exchange of gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for example, if the neighboring communities are, have been able to grow particular crops and harvest, mostly that is what they'll bring. And they are bringing in something which this host community doesn't have. Oh, yeah. So they show that joy of sharing. And then when they are going back, the host community says, maybe we don't have crops to give you. We're going to give you a goat or a chicken. Mm -hmm. This thing may look small, but they have huge meaning associated with them. Yeah. So you hear people saying, there was a time we did, we did the economics of peace and we realized at one single parents meeting, parents exchanged gifts worth 1500 US dollars. And this is a very poor village. Wow. So imagining the gifts that exchange, if you take the value of people exchange like 10 goats, each goat is $50. So that is $500, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you do the math, you see the, the bigger picture of this kind of forums. And then after that, we start now getting the demand that should more, many children want to be part of Peace Camp because they know if I attend Peace Camp, it will trickle down to our parents meeting and hosting and all that. Yeah. You know, sorry, this is all reminding me of... One of the recent guests on Fractal Friends was a guy named Gregory Kennedy, and he um, uh, is in you know African American gentleman, you know with like ancestors from all sorts of parts, all different cultures, and um, Native and European and stuff. And he's talking about when he was in high school, um, he had he made a friend who was white, and he went to his friend's house, and his mom and his the, the the white kid's mom was really racist 
Mm-hmm. And and he went to the house and was just really nice every time he was there. And he was just always kind to her and she was always mean to him and you know ignored him. And then eventually the mom realized that that Gregory was the night the like the best of all of her kids' friends, right? And mm-hmm. and she talked to her son and was like, I realize that I have been being racist without any reason. Just because oh. my dad taught me to do this, and um, I've actually almost never met a black person before, and and I'm really sorry that I did this. And she changed, and she then started really treating him with like respect. And we were just talking about how this, you know, the parent went through a transformation because the kids were friends, and they were able to hang out. And you know, and as I'm thinking about how to transfer this or relate this to other parts of the world i just really think Mm -hmm. about like you know just even here in oakland and i'm sure and they're in san diego and and and, like we have places where you know there are neighborhoods where there are like black neighborhoods and they're in their white neighborhoods and probably like schools that are predominantly black and schools that are predominantly white and and or latino or asian you know and that and that you could do the same thing by getting these groups of friends to interact, become friends with each other and go host each other at each other's houses and start breaking down some of the racial or ethnic like stereotypes that exist, um, Mm -hmm. you know, here in the United States, like they don't have to, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, like, and, and, you know, in Kenya, the groups have like, you know, slightly different languages and different cultures and different histories, but, that's also true here, and it just seems like that could be such a powerful um, experience. Um, it would be really easy to replicate something like that. Yeah, yeah. but 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 for for this to succeed, probably we need a group which is at the same level with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting part. Example: one of the things that made our project succeed is because these two groups were at the same economic level, mm-hmm. so nobody is looking at, down at each other. Right. Nobody feeling more important they are at the same level and right. and they are both they are both desperate for this common goal like peace they right. are both affected by peace right and they're both you know like marginalized communities like you were saying they are both already. marginalized yeah so so for example for one thing i've realized for this kind of a program to work you need to get a group that is sharing some common um, some common either common problems mm-hmm. that they all are interested to resolve or they they may not be interested to resolve. They may be interested to resolve, but they don't know how. Right. Right. Or maybe a huge number of them want to resolve. Some may not may be comfortable because it doesn't affect them. But we need this particular small group to be interested to say, "I wish I can get a different lifestyle, not this." Hmm. Right. Yeah. I see what you mean. If there, if the groups were like really disparate or really different, and they're in their economic situation or class or power differentials, then you could have a situation where the exchange might feel really uncomfortable or, um, or maybe like, I don't know, exacerbate, um, some uh, of the, something like that, something that the, the differences or the stereotypes maybe or something. Mm-hmm. So Duncan, going to our that for the activity, after the parents meet, we, we try to to do hosting on both sides. Remember the first round, it is one community that has hosted. Yeah. 
then we have we give opportunity to the other community to host so that they both have visited each other yeah and all through their moments of discovery discovering each other getting to build relationship we give it time and then after that we go back to the children and give them an exposure so we do peace concert peace concert where the children prepare different songs and traditions they they showcase to each other in a more of showcasing than competing so they learn they we want them to know that this is how the samburus do their traditional dances and this is how the poko do their traditional dancing and we are not trying to say yours is good or yours is better it's appreciating diversity mm-hmm yeah right so they get exposed to each other's cultural traditions and celebrations mm-hmm yeah and then towards now from there we are ready to wind down and that is where we see how do we after building this relationship over time if we started in january maybe right now we are in october we ask ourselves how do we how do we hand over and we get one haifa or one baby cow mm-hmm. and we gift to the families who have been friends so so we give one haifa to two families to share and because they only the kids need to take care of these animals remember from the word go these kids are pastoralists so there's nothing new you are kind of giving them something that is not taking them outside their way of life right and maybe you can to to shed some light on that using it as a peace dividend into looking what gives the community meaning what has meaning in that particular community such that if you go elsewhere you not give a heifer but you give what has meaning in that community mm-hmm. right yeah but something that has meaning in the community and that can be shared and and requires the participation of both for success I like the way you understand the concept. Yes. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm a good student. <laughs> you truly are. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um That's great. Uh, well, I really appreciate that like the, yeah, bringing the like giving the cow and so then both 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 families now share this cow and share the benefits and share the responsibilities. The cow becomes the connecting factor. Yeah. Because it it makes the communities to keep in communication with each other to share resources and it becomes an economic boost. Because they sell milk, they sell milk. They if they give back to calf, they can sell the cow. That little one cow has much more impact in uniting the two families, the two communities. Wow. And I'll just like put a little plug in here for you. Children Peace Initiative is raising money for Heifers for Peace. And so if you're listening to this and you think this sounds awesome, you should go to fractalfriends.us and find the link and donate to that. Thank you so (laughs) much. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, One thing I just... I really love about this. So like like the, the, the transition comes from... Like first, you know, like seeing each other and, you know, interacting, playing together, like finding ways of working together. Then it, then that excitement, then 
transfers to let me share this experience with my family. Then the families share the experiences, which spills out into the community. And then the, and then you create this like deeper economic bond between the families as they, you know, share something of meaning, the heifer in, in this case. Um, I, what, what I like about this is it's like such a good indication of what you were saying at the very beginning that it's like the very people in the community that can start making the connections. Like yeah. you haven't introduced anything from the outside yet, uh-huh. right? I mean, except for an idea. But everything you've done is something that you've just generated from already existing community resources. That's correct. Um, I don't know. I, I'm interested. I know we talked about this when we were preparing for this interview, but like, you know, development, like international development has so many different approaches and as you're seeing development how do you what are some of the things that you've learned from this that you think are are helpful for for people who you know want to support development like what other lessons can be learned from your experiences i would say one is the expertise is at the grassroots level it is with the people on the ground to avoid uh importing expertise and when we have people coming from outside the issue should be inserting themselves in the community and learning from the community. Mm-hmm. Not going as the expert, but but being able to acknowledge the community has solution to its own problem. It only requires an enabling uh, environment to help them fix the EMS. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's really powerful. It's so... It's an easy one to miss, right? Because... Like there's a lesson in here that just around like a paternalistic attitude, or it's almost like a colonial attitude, right? I mean, just this idea that someone from the outside has like better solutions, but it's actually like not really a good idea. When I was in the Peace Corps and in and, and Paraguay, and we did the same thing. Like we didn't bring any resources. We just like helped the community mobilize the resources they already have. But there are stories about how like the World Bank would come and would donate a tractor for example. Mm-hmm. And they would say, here's a tractor and here's how to use it. And it would be like a million dollar thing, which would be a loan to the country, which 